Well, so far in our study of the book of John, we have seen the presentation of the Messiah in the first 12 chapters of John. Jesus is presented as truly the Son of God, um, the Savior of this world through his seven signs, these miracles authenticating his claims, his claims which would say, I am, I am, going back to the Old Testament name for God, that even his enemies understood what he was saying And therefore, they sought to kill him. In chapters 13 through 17, we've seen a preparation for his death as he's given the promise of the Holy Spirit, as he's prayed for his followers. He even prays for us today from that that passage in John chapter 17. And now we come to the cross. The reason why he came, Jesus came to save, not to judge. He came to save sinners. And so we have made the cross front and center in our, in our discussion, in our time in God's word this morning, because I want it there for us to see. I want us to see what happened on the cross and how the scriptures reveal Christ on the cross. And then I want us to understand what it means, what it means to our world, what it means to our lives. And then I'd like you to respond to the cross. And so for some of you, some of you have, uh, you, you've seen, it's a very common picture of Christianity. And therefore, it's kind of like a, um, a piece of jewelry around us. As some of us have it on our cars. I choose not to because I don't always drive like a Christian. But it's, it's, it's that picture that, uh, of, of, of something so much more meaningful than just a symbol. We want to understand this. Some of you have seen this symbol for a long time, but you really don't understand what this means. We would like you to see it and to understand it so that you might be able to respond to it. Some of you have grown up with this symbol and you understand what it means. We'd like you at times as we go through this and we explain the meaning for you to pause even from listening to me and worship, worship God and thank him for the picture and, and the cross and what happened on the cross for you, because what happened on the cross didn't just happen for our world. There's a very, very personal element. We are found at the cross and it is the start of, of, uh, that, that, that huge work of redemption on your life. And it is not something that just started then. It, it is something that has continued throughout human history of God redeeming his people. And so we want to see that, you know, in the gospel has a high view of the cross in Matthew 27, in Mark 15, in Luke 23, the gospel writers talk about this. And I encourage you not just to read John 19. John uh, wrote this as the last apostle to write the, the, the details of the crucifixion after the other three were compiled and accepted by the church. And he, he wrote it so that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, they would have life in his name. That's still the purpose of this, this presentation of the cross. But I'd encourage you to read in those three other places, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so that you get kind of the surround sound picture of this, is this huge event that has changed the course of history for you and for me. And as we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, I want to invite you to open up in John chapter 19, verse 16. We're going to start there. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, go grab one in the back. We've purchased them for you. If you don't have one at home, 
Keep this one, take it home, it's our gift to you. If you do have one at home, but you forgot it today, bring it next week, but grab this one and leave it on your way out. Thank you for getting up and doing that. Appreciate that. Let's get into God's word, Matthew, excuse me, John 19, beginning with the end of verse 16. It says, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin and in Greek. And so the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of Jews of the Jews. Pilate answered what I have written. I have written when the soldiers had crucified Jesus. They took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill scripture, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. They put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We're seeing this. We're seeing this picture of the cross. What do we see? I see four things happening here. I see number one, the failure of the world. Throughout the life of Christ, you're going to see people accept him. You're going to see people ignore him. You're going to see people reject him. And you're going to see people rage against him. And here at this picture, if you were to follow the whole picture of his trial, his unjustly trial, you'll see that it was a huge, epic failure, an epic failure of the world. Those who rejected Christ failed to see, failed to listen, failed to understand. And therefore, we have failure and we have failure today, just as it was back then. We have failure of government to govern justly from religion to worship and honor God. We have people who are failing in loving God in Christ. And it's what Jesus spoke about in his ministry in, in John chapter 12, verse 40, when he says this, he's blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. In other words, Jesus was saying, if they just understood it and they just turned to me, I would give healing. But instead, they're blind, they're deaf to the truth. And he explains in John twelve forty three the whole motive behind this of the Pharisees, because Jesus could see into the heart as he saw into theirs, he could see into ours. 
And he realized in the Pharisees, and he made it known, that they loved the glory which comes from man over the glory which comes from God. That's a humbling statement and a humbling observation. What does Jesus see when he sees our hearts? Are we more infatuated with what people think of us? Or rather, are we more impressed with the glory of God being reflected through us? That's the failure of the world. And, and uh, the whole picture of the crucifixion is just a big picture of failure. When, when, when you had the crucifixion in that culture, it was a picture. You wanted to eradicate someone's legacy, you would crucify them. Because it was just horror. It was horrific to put someone on a cross. It was horrific. Even to the Jewish mind in the Old Testament, they said in Deuteronomy, the law said, cursed is anyone who hangs from a tree. So it was a picture in that day even of failure. In in the whole trial of Jesus, in verse 15 and 16, where the crowd is yelling for him to be crucified, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And again, he was mocking them with Jesus through this trial. You'll see so many different dynamics of the failure of relationships, the failure of peace, the failure of conflict resolution between government authorities. And you'll see this massive picture. What do they yell out? They, the chief priests yell out, we have no king but Caesar. This was blasphemous. C- Caesar saw himself as a god. He was worshipped as a god. And for the Jewish priest to, to yell out, we have no king but Caesar, is just an indictment against them. Because they broke the first commandment in saying that statement. You shall have no other gods before me. And this whole picture, we have this picture of them not wanting to go before the very presence of Pilate because they would defile themselves, yet calling out, we have no king but Caesar, when the king of kings and lord of lords is the one they want dead. We see a failure. And it's a failure that was back then, and it is a failure today. The epic failure here is the rejection of Christ. You get a picture that evil is winning, that the truth is being killed. And we, we even can see the denial of, of the process of justice and layer and layer of failure of justice, failure of religion, failure of truth, failure of character, because it, reject, it reflects a larger failure within all of us, a brokenness and the fallen nature of humanity. And it was not just back then, it is today. Our world, our society, our community has rejected Jesus. And it's for that reason and the reason that we desire glory that comes from each other rather than the glory that comes from God, that Jesus had to come. And this failure within all of us is the reason Jesus had to come. If we're just naturally good and we can do good things that can impress God up in heaven and and we just got to be good and we just got to keep doing, it would not be failure We'd be less than perfect, but trying to be better. This is a failure, a failure within us all that we, we only have to, if we're honest, look in the mirror of the deep failure within us all. You know, that's why the cross is here. It's because of my rejection and your rejection. The rejection of God and his way for us that needed to be paid for. 
You know, every time I dip into a self-righteous picture, every time I become more judgmental, I, I come into this picture of rejection of Christ to celebrate my glory. We need, we need Jesus to restore us because we've rejected him. We not only see the failure of the world, we also see the fulfillment of his word. Just as I was reading this and all throughout the book of John, you'll see this statement. It says this, this happened to fulfill scripture, which means that God was about revealing himself to us through Christ. That as the life of Christ fulfilled prophecy after prophecy concerning him, hundreds of prophecies were fulfilled during his lifetime and on the cross. It's the whole picture of God fulfilling his word through Christ. In John 1, 1, the whole book starts out with, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You have the fulfillment of Jesus doing that. And then you have on the cross, a picture of this word who became flesh and experienced death for us, fulfilling God's word of restoration and redemption of all humanity. It's, we see it in John 19.19, where, where Pilate writes this inscription and put it on the cross that reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. He didn't even know that he was revealing the Christ through this. It was mockery to him. But today we see our king on the cross with the right inscription for who he really was. We see it in verse 24 and verse 36 and verse 37. We see Jesus quoting the Psalms, identifying with the suffering of David as his, his life was pursued by his enemies in Psalm 22, in Psalm 69. All those are quoted by Christ. We see it in the, the, the guards dividing his clothing and, and gambling for him. In verse 24, where it says, where he quotes scripture, it says, this was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. You see, what is the word here? The word is revelation. God is revealing himself through Christ. Even the, as you look in Luke chapter 27, as this account is given during his trial, and Pilate looks at the, the crowd, is calling for his, his crucifixion, and he says, then this responsibility is on you. And the people yell out, let his blood be on us and on our children. They had no idea that they were prophesying, because it's truly through the work of Christ on the cross that his blood spilled out for our sins and those who believe. That his blood literally would be on them and on their, their children. Because it's that revelation. It's Genesis through John, the word. Genesis through John, the word becoming flesh, experiencing death. Just like John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus on the cross is fulfillment of the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. We don't not only see the failure of the world and the fulfillment of his word, we also see the fullness of his love. It's only on the cross where we get the, the clearest picture of the extent of God's demonstration of his love for us. 
John kind of used a literary device when he was sharing a report to give it in the third person. So he refers to himself throughout the book of John, not in an arrogant way of the disciple that Jesus loved. We could kind of read into that in our culture today. Then it was just something of the disciple who really understood the love of God in his life. And he felt a personal love from Jesus throughout his time with him. So he's just said, the disciple, me, who Jesus loved, I was there also. And he had this eyewitness account that on the cross, in the midst of his suffering, John draws out that Jesus was concerned about his mother and said to his mother, mother, behold your son. And to John, John, behold your mother. And from that time on, John took the mother of Jesus into his, into his care. Here he is alone from his friends, uh, alone from his family, only his mother there, from even his father in heaven. This is the greatest suffering of Jesus on the cross. The, the turning of God's face as this, our sins were placed on his body. And, and it's where he continued to love. In Luke 23, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In Luke 23, with the, the thief on the cross next, next to him, who cries out, remember me when you come into your father's kingdom. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. What is he doing? He's loving. But it's not just at that point, at that point of death that we see him loving. We see him being motivated by the love of God for this whole picture of the cross. It would be this extent. For John would write in 1 John 4.10, he says this, in this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. You see, Jesus didn't love us because we first loved him. God doesn't love you if you love him first. He initiates in his love. And the cross is that picture of God initiating that while we were still sinners and before we loved him, he loved us. It's the fullness of God's love. His pattern of love then is selfless. It's sacrificial. And the fullness of his love is that it dies for us. Greater love has no man than this, that he might lay down his life for his friends. Jesus showed this to us on the cross. And just in case you're wondering what that word propitiation means, it's a great Scrabble word, but it really means an appeasement, a satisfaction, a sacrifice that bears the wrath of God for you and for me placed on someone else so that after it happened, after that payment was received, we have the grace and mercy of God. That's really a whole picture of the gospel right there. It's because of God's grace. It's because of his love. But, but it came with a huge cost. See, some of us today can just look, oh, that's really cool on the cross. It's really good news for me. But we don't realize that all of God's anger, all of his wrath of his holiness were placed that, that, would, that could have been targeted for me and for you was placed on Jesus. That's why he had to come to show the full extent of his love. Because the word here is redemption. An exchange took place. Christ died in my place. Christ died in your place. And that's the picture of the gospel. Is that none of us deserve this love. 
None of us, we think we, we're such a performance-based world that we think, oh, if I come to church, God will love me more. If I read the Bible, God will love me more. If I, if I pray more, God will love me more because it's what I do that earns my salvation. And the cross says, no, there's nothing you can do. So many times Christians like to compare themselves to others. You're not compared to others. God does not compare you with your neighbor. When you face him, he will not go, hey, uh, you did pretty well. You, you did a little bit better. You lived a little bit better than this guy. So you can come in. No, he's going to see. He compares you with Christ. And look out when you're compared with Christ. Because the only one we're compared to is also the only one who can save us. We must have Christ. And it's the, it's the full extent of his love. Only at the cross are we perfectly loved. Perfectly loved. And then fourthly, what do we see when we see the cross? We see, well, we've seen the failure of the world in rejection, the fulfillment of his word through revelation, the fullness of his love through redemption. And then we see the finality of his work. Jesus used a word in Greek, it's called tetelestai. It means it is finished. And in John 19.30, it says, when, re, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, tetelestai. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In Luke 23, it talks about when he died, the darkness fell over the whole land. And the veil in the temple, this huge curtain, heavy, thick, Curtain restricting access to the Holy of Holies that only the chief priest one time a year could enter to offer a sacrifice for the people. Only after he offered sacrifice for his own sin could enter. And and when Jesus died, that veil was just ripped in two, signifying full final payment. We no longer need a high priest to intercede. Jesus is Our high priest. It's what the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 7 would say. When he says he has no need like those of high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And he said, it is finished. Jesus was saying, I finished. I completed the work my father has sent for me to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but to save the world. This was completed on the cross. The full and final payment for sins. And that's why we must have Christ. We must have Christ. The Christ has to be central to everything we do. That's why it's front and center. It's not just in the church, but outside of the church. We must have the cross daily. Well, this is what we see when we see the cross. Because God is completing his work of restoration. It's only through Christ can we be restored to God. It's the only work that, can, that satisfies the righteousness of God and that saves us. We see the failure of the world at the cross. We see the fulfillment of God's word at the cross. 
We see the fullness of God's love at the cross and we see the finality of God's work on the cross. What does it mean? I think there's four things for us to really understand what this means. Now that we see what the scriptures present the cross to be. The first one is this. The cross of Christ is the source of salvation. Peter would say uh, to the high court of the Jews, he would say in Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given to man whereby we must be saved. We must have Christ. No other name. It's not in our working, but it's in his dying work for us. And that's why before I pray in the morning, I've just put out a phrase that keeps me humble before the Lord. And I, I pray this. I say, Lord, I rest alone in the work of Christ, his work in this world, his work on the cross, his work through his resurrection and his work in my life and through my life today because of the cross. Everything, it's, it's the source it's the source of salvation. You see, our world likes to, likes to peg people and put them into performance levels. That if you, if you do the right things, that's salvation for you. Biblical Christianity says it's not in you doing. It's in all what's already been done for you in Christ. Therefore, none of us can boast in our performance We can only boast in the work of Christ on the cross. Secondly, the cross is central to the gospel. If you have no cross, you have no good news. I'm reading a book right now that says Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is that is the whole picture. It's central to the gospel. You take out the cross or you re-engineer the cross to be nothing more than a societal injustice of ancient civilization that marries our pity, that, that gives us a respect for Jesus as a man, but we deny its power and we spit at the cross. And we deny it and we strip it of its worth in our lives. What does it mean? It's central to the gospel. You must have the cross for it to be good news. It's bad news if you have to perform. And, and I've tried to live like this, even after the gospel entered my life, where I thought that if I messed up, God was up there going, Oh, Ishma, you better wait, man. Two weeks from now, kapow, she's going to tell you. She just wants to be friends. It's all because of that. You remember that. No more cheating on that, cla- that class because I'm going to get you, man. And it's that picture that I've got to atone. I've got to make it right with God because God's out there and at the cross, it's been taken for. So that second that thought comes into your mind, make it obedient to Christ. Second, that thought that you can impress God by your works, that God, man, he is blessed to have you. Make it obedient to Christ. Now, you don't deserve it. You are honored to be his, but it's all his work through you. That's that picture. It's central to the gospel. Thirdly, the gospel, the cross of Christ is the summary of our faith. Paul writes this. May I glory in nothing else except the cross. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Here it is. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, or of whom I'm the worst. 
And here's a guy who murdered, who martyred uh, early believers in the first century, whose life was radically changed because of Christ and whose acceptance with God was not according to a religious system, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Man, it was the summary of what he was about. Why are you here, Paul? Because of the cross. He understood in a humble way. And because of it, he gave his life for it. Not as only the source of salvation and central to the gospel and the summary of our faith. It also shapes the cross of Christ, shapes all of life. It shapes us. As Paul wrote in Galatians 6.14, he says, Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There was something about this. Paul could not get over what happened on the cross because it was at the cross he experienced the grace of God because the judgment of God was placed on Jesus. And that whole picture, he goes, I'm going to boast. I'm not going to boast in my background, my family background. I'm not going to boast in how much I know about the scriptures. I'm not going to boast in how good my life is. I'm going to boast in the cross. And that's where our boasting needs, because the cross shapes all of life. Our hero, our hero is on a cross. Our hero is enduring mockery and shame, rejection, suffering, the loss of life. And we are to follow in the footsteps of our hero, Jesus. Christ brings us forgiveness and hope and joy, defeating the power of sin and death. But we also see the pain and suffering of Christ. And those who followed him would have to see this as normative in their lives, of part of everyday experience, pain and suffering. It's interesting that 10 of the 11 uh, remaining disciples of Jesus would literally give their lives to advance the gospel of the cross of Christ. Because they realized whoever follows in the footsteps of Jesus must love as he did and give as he did. So we get this concept in our lives that whoever wants to follow Jesus must take up his cross and deny himself daily and follow. Because it's the concept of dying to live in our own lives that as our hero died for us, we need to be able to give our lives for him. It's that picture. Because the cross shapes all of life. We should never get over the cross. So many times I talk with Christians and they go, yeah, 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 I believe Jesus died on the cross for sins. Don't get over that. Don't get over that. And so many times we, we, we give the gospel as if it's, I'm better than you. And if you don't, look out. You're not like me. And we treat people like this. When the gospel is the call of God, his full extent of his love that says the ground is level here. Ground is level. It's not what you've done. It's what God has done through Christ. So come. We should not be arrogant in the proclamation of the gospel. We should be inclusive to whosoever believes and allow God to work through the proclamation of the gospel in our lives because the gospel shapes all of life. We want to be people who are transformed 
by the grace of God through the gospel. So how do you respond to the gospel? What's, what's my response to the gospel? We've, we've seen that, um, that Christ on the cross is the source of our salvation, central to the gospel, a summary of our faith and shapes all of life. What's that response that you're going to make? People have accepted him and and his work and trust and lived and their lives have been transformed. There's people who've known this um, and and they've seen pictures of the cross. It's very easy to see that in our culture. It's even clear to see that in our churches. Some of the oldest churches in, in this city have pictures of the cross without an understanding of the cross. And all, if all you've got is the picture, you now understand that it's much more than a symbol. It's the center of all we do. So what's your response? Some of you have seen it and you've known about it, but you did not understand it. Today you do. Some of you have seen it and you've known about it, you understood it, but, but basically you've not responded to it. You've not personally understood this was for you. And therefore, as it's done for you, will you accept the work of Jesus on the cross for you? Will you see yourself identified with Christ on the cross? That's where faith begins when I understand that I deserve to be there because of my sin. But Jesus took that for me. Where you take yourself off of the cross, if you're one of those legalistic people who think you can earn it, you take it and you allow Jesus to die for you. And you accept his work. Right where you're seated, I want to lead you to a time right where John wants to lead you in the presentation of the cross. In John 20, verse 31, he said, These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. Right where you're seated, if this is something you now understand and want to respond, simply say this, Father in heaven... And with us right now, I believe. I believe that Jesus is God and he's my savior. I admit my sin. I admit the truth that you know about me and I turn from it and I trust that you have forgiven all my sin on the cross. I trust in you. I trust my past history, my present reality, and my future hopes to you. And I want my life to be more about you than it is about me. I want the cross to shape my life. If that is the condition of your heart, that is the beginning of faith. Faith is trusting in Jesus to do something you cannot do for yourself. And just as you receive a gift without earning it, you have to receive this gift from Jesus on the cross. It's my prayer that this would be your reality today as you've seen it. Because there will be a day, whether or not we accept him now, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's my hope that today is that day when God's glory has visited your life through the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your offer on the cross 
that's made available to whosoever believes. And I just, Lord, I, I just trust you with this congregation today. I trust you with everyone here. You know their hearts. You know their response to the cross. And, and Lord, as they're so, there's, there may be some softened hearts here, I pray that you would speak clearly to them and they would trust you. Lord, we really do want our lives to be more about your glory and, and less about others' glory, our own glory. We want Jesus and the cross to shape all of our lives. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.